Welcome to an Exogen podcast. Today, we'll be diving into the study that led to Exogen's ACR-released abstract, the role of PC4D in predicting risk of future thrombotic events in SLE. Joining us is the first author, Dr. Anka Askenaz. Dr. Askenaz is a globally distinguished clinician and researcher who has specialized in complex SLE for over 15 years. She is the founder and clinical director of Columbia's new Lupus Center and the director of Rheumatology Clinical Trials. Dr. Askenaz, welcome to the show. It is such a pleasure to be here, and I'm grateful for this introduction. I am uh, indeed dedicated to the care of people with lupus, and I'm dedicating to finding um, new therapeutics, but also better understanding biomarkers and as such biomarkers of risk for both lupus, biomarkers of risk for um, lupus flares, but also biomarkers of risk for complications, including complements with products deposited on the surface of various cells. The um, abstract that we'll be discussing later today is about the platelet bound C4D fragment split product resulted from C4 activation. And I am looking forward to diving into all of that with you. Um, and to maybe start us off, let's backtrack. And you kind of just talked about the work that you're currently doing or some of it, which is very exciting, but could you maybe give us a bit of a background on yourself in terms of how did you get to the point where lupus became such a, a of an interest to you? So um, the answer is never simple because sometimes, sometimes it is the choices we make that put us on the path to our future career and our um, lifelong passion. And sometimes it almost seems like the world makes those choices for us. So um, as a medical student, I found autoimmune diseases fascinating. And I started a very um, tiny interest in systemic lupus. I started training with some of the uh, rheumatologists I did my medical school in Bucharest, Romania, and then moved here for residency. Um, As I was interviewing for residency, I spoke of my interest in rheumatology. And my interviewer said, well, then if you're interested in rheumatology, you need to meet my colleague that's a rheumatologist here. Now, the colleague that turned out to interview me for residency is Dr. Joan Merrill. Dr. Joan Merrill is um, a prominent lupus expert in the world. And for some reason, you know, our personality matched and our interests became obvious that we were interested in the same complexity of autoimmunity and and complexity of lupus. And I had asked her if I could come work with her in the lab as, you know, as somebody that hadn't even started residency. And she said, of course you should part. So it feels like that serendipitous interaction was part of how lupus chose me, right? And then I I trained with Jill Bion, another extraordinary lupus expert at NYU. And throughout my life and my career, I continued to work with my mentors, Jill Bion and Joan Merrill, and we're still friends to this day. I love that. It's all about the small pieces that fall into place that really lead to over 15 years of experience within this field. And that brings us to today where really what we're talking about is just one small piece of that, but an important piece. And that's this abstract that was presented at ACR. So 
jumping right into that, can you talk us through the approach to the study that resulted in the abstract? Could I possibly go back to some history? Oh, yes. That history is about my first interest in complement split products and, and their role in both the diagnosis, but also you know, um, using them as biomarkers in, in people with lupus. So as complement split products started being recognized as important pieces of the puzzle of lupus, um, I embarked on trying to understand their role, in particular, the role of the complement-bound activation products in pediatric lupus. So um, we did a study here at Columbia in the early days of me joining the Columbia University program and starting the Lupus Center. We did a study in 28 patients with pediatric lupus and 22 patients of uh, 22 patients with juvenile arthritis to try and understand what might be the differences in cell-bound complement activation products in the special population. So as expected, complement-bound activation products were important in further substantiating a diagnosis of lupus. And in particular, the B-cell-bound C4D had Highest, the highest predictive value for the diagnosis of lupus in this population. And also, not unexpectedly, the erythrocyte-bound C4D had the highest correlation with disease activity, further substantiating these data in adult patients. So this was my first look at, at CBCAPS as both a, a marker to help making a diagnosis of lupus, but also to possibly use it as a marker of flare and possibly a biomarker to predict those flares. And then as we kept our interest in complements with products, I had joined with a junior colleague that had an interest in platelets. The junior colleague is Dr. Evgenia Gartstein, who is also an author on this publication. And we started looking at the role of PC4D as um, a possible marker for thrombosis and cardiovascular events in lupus. So this work on PC4D in people with lupus was first looked at in our cohort of 150 patients at Columbia that where we evaluate thrombotic events, and we looked at arterial events and venous events and at their correlation with, with PC4D. And in that population, we were able to note that high levels of PC4D correlated with, with arterial events in, in SLE, and that was independent of antiphospholipid antibody, prednisone use, or smoking, which are also known to be predictors of cardiovascular events. Now, interestingly, the PC4D levels correlated with lower platelet counts and larger platelet volumes, as well as increased platelet aggregation, suggesting that PC4D may be actually a mechanistic marker for vascular disease in lupus. And that kind of brings us to the paper that was presented at this year's ACR that gathered data 
from three cohorts of, of people with lupus that had PC4D levels evaluated. So we included the data from Columbia, we included the data from um, the Hopkins lupus cohort and the cohort at Beth Israel Deaconess in Boston looking for thrombotic events and their correlation with PC4D levels. So in this particular abstract and in this work, the arterial events correlated with PC4D. And, and for this particular exercise, the best correlations were achieved at PC4D levels greater than 13. And the sensitivity and specificity for PC4D to be a predictor of those arterial events uh, was 60% sensitivity, 75% specificity. But what was the most striking is that a PC4D less than 13 had an extraordinary negative predictive value suggesting about a 99% probable, probability of not having an arterial thrombosis. Now, the, the piece that was also very different in this study compared to other studies that were done evaluating thrombosis risk and the association between thrombosis risk and PC4D was that this was done prospectively. Events that were captured after the measurement of the PC4D. So in a way, possibly suggesting a predictive value of the measurement of PC4D. There's a lot of things about that that I know are very, well, exciting in a lot of ways. But as you've mentioned throughout, this is PC4D is quite important in all of this. And how does this study add to the body of literature supporting the clinical validity of PC4D? So I think that the study, because these data are collected from three separate cohorts, and I think that because it has so a large number of patients, a large representation of all the racial and ethnic groups that are at high risk for lupus and cardiovascular events in lupus, it allows for a greater generalizability of these data. And the fact that it builds upon prior work further substantiating the role of PC4D as a risk for thrombotic events in people with lupus, independent of anticardiolipin antibodies and traditional cardiovascular risk factors. So if we then went ahead and took a step back and kind of pivoted and looked at the real world, um, can you talk to us about the current standard of care in managing risk, the risk of thrombosis in lupus patients currently? Uh, so in lupus patients without antiphospholipid antibodies, um, managing the risk for cardiovascular events is mostly left to the primary care physicians, meaning they are gonna be checking cholesterol, um, they're gonna be checking blood pressure, um, they're gonna counsel patients against smoking, and that's probably the extent of this, of this risk management. So the role of PC4D then is quite an important one in all of this. So I think that the role of PC4D is important because I think it increases 
our awareness to the risk of cardiovascular events and potentially allows us to further stratify patients, lupus patients in terms of their risk. So beyond the traditional cardiovascular risk factors, having lupus confers an increased risk for cardiovascular disease, for stroke and MI and cardiovascular mortality in people with lupus. So while I don't know if we have enough data to fully substantiate the fact that lupus is a cardiovascular, um, it's a risk equivalent to diabetes in patients with lupus. I think it is very clear that this is a high risk population for cardiovascular events. The addition of PC4D to that armamentarium as an extra cautionary test to allow for further stratification and risk management of people with SLE, I think it's critical. Now, you know, are these data supportive of that role? Absolutely. Um, I do think that further validation in another cohort would be important as well. Mm. For sure. So really what you're saying, or please confirm that what you're saying is that you view the role of PC4D as a, as a way to help manage at-risk lupus patients? Correct. Correct. And then how, how do you measure the PC4D in your patient population? So um, the only place that measures PC4D is the Exogen Laboratory. I have been working closely with Exogen for some years now, and PC4D is now available to be measured in in whole blood collected from lupus patients that's shipped to Exogen. So the only way that we can measure PC4D is by sending it to Exogen, where flow cytometry allows for accurate measurements of EC4D, BC4D, and PC4D. Obviously, we're talking about PC4D today, so I don't know why I brought the others up, but (laughs) more complement split products, always better. Definitely. And then how would you explain the value of PC4D to a colleague? So obviously, lupus patient, we know, confers an increased risk for atherosclerosis, a diagnosis of lupus. The presence of antiphospholipid antibodies, and in particular, the triple positivity for lupus anticoagulant antiphospholipid antibodies and beta-2 glycoprotein 1 is an extra added risk for cardiovascular events and, and thrombotic events in lupus. PC4D is a further confirmation and a further stratification of that risk in people with lupus. And I think that the data that has accumulated over the past several years from our cohort and now from the current study, it further allows us to provide that added level of of comfort in suggesting PC4D as an additional level of confirmation for the risk of arterial and cardiovascular events in lupus. Let's actually take a moment and dive into the specificity of the data in the abstract just a little bit more. And could you start by giving us a sentence or a statement that really encompasses uh, the importance of this abstract? And then maybe follow that up with diving into 
the conclusions on a more granular level? So I think that um, PC4D may serve as a biomarker to predict the risk of future thromboses and lack thereof in lupus. Because I think that's a big, fat, important statement. I think that I'm going to read the conclusions because you probably just being very precise about those is important. PC4D greater than 10 MFIs, mean fluorescent intensity units, is associated with thrombosis in SLE, confirming previous data. PC4D predicts future, future arterial thrombosis with an odds ratio of 4.51 at the, at the ma- at the optimum cutoff of 13 MFIs, despite the small number of events noted in this study, patients with PC4D less than or equal to 10 had a 98 probability of not experiencing any thrombosis in the following three years after PC4D measurement. And these data suggest that PC4D helps evaluate the risk of thrombosis in SLE and can guide the decision to start low-dose aspirin in at-risk patients. Yeah, it's some pretty key takeaways. Correct. The study included 419 patients, 150 from the Columbia lupus cohort, 149 from the Hopkins lupus cohort, and 120 from the Beth Israel Deaconess um, Hospital. Overall, 30% of the patients were Black, 15% Hispanic, 9% Asian, and about 42% white. The majority of these patients were were less than 65 years old at the time of their PC4D measurement. Their mean age actually uh, was 42 for the cohort with some variations between the three groups, slightly older in the Hopkins cohort and about 39 in the Beth Israel um, Deaconess cohort and 40 in the Columbia cohort. So this is a group of young lupus patients where that had between these 419 patients, there were 74 patients with thrombotic events in the five years pre and three years post PC4D measurement. However, the analysis that we discussed looks at the events post PC4D measurement, and in particular, looks at arterial events. I think that was great. Um, And it actually sets me up perfectly for my last question. Um, So Dr. Askenaz, I know we covered a lot in a very short amount of time. Uh, So thank you so much for walking us all through this. In your opinion, what's the most meaningful takeaway from this study? That the complement is probably an active player in thrombosis and lupus. PC4D is a, in a way, a footprint of the role of complement activation in thrombosis. And as such, its value may be a lot more important than these data propose. Yeah, that's a powerful place to end. I know. (laughs) Well, Dr. Askenes, thank you again so much for your time and for walking us through this. I know that this is just, you know, we're going to be seeing more work in this direction and um, looking forward to seeing where that goes. 
You have been listening to Exigen's podcast. For more information about Exigen, please visit the website at www.exigen.com.